All right. So we're in this series called Come Now. All right. Everybody know that? Good. Good. Four of us are aware of where we are and what we are doing. We can add more real soon. Uh, so this Come Now idea is the idea of uh, Matthew, the birth narrative where literally these wise men travel from afar, right? And, and they come and they worship this child who is Jesus. And, and so we just have kind of taken a pause. We just want to look at some postures of worship. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the posture of worship, lifting our hands to God. And then last week, we talked about bringing our gifts. And uh, so we're in the middle of this little, every fall, we kind of do this harvest offering, but you couldn't call harvest offering in December a harvest offering. So it's kind of this Christmassy harvest offering type thing where we're asking you to provide maybe a gift, financial gift above and beyond what you already regularly give to help support some of our local initiatives, our, our local partnerships. Highland Elementary, our uh, No One Left Behind ministry that serves our impoverished community, our student scholarships, um, our new partnership with a church plant in Southeast Portland called Movement Church. Did you guys hear this last week? Oh, whew, there for a moment I thought, they've missed it all. And uh, so you know, last week my grandma died on November 30th, and then I flew out on Wednesday that week to go be with the family and and participate in her service. And so Christian, who preached last week as our student pastor, he found out on Tuesday that he was going to be doing that, but he and I couldn't connect on the phone until Thursday morning. And so I thought, man, Christian did an outstanding job for having a little bit of time. Don't, don't get too excited about him, all right? If you like him too much, he won't be up here again, all right? So I need to have bad guest preachers, not good guest preachers. Anyway, that's right. I know it's not very pastoral of me. I know. I know. What I love about second service is you guys talk back at me. All right? First service, they just listen. You all? Doesn't really work that way. So, so next week, we're going to talk about how we bow our knees, and that is a posture of worship. This week is, is pour out your hearts. And it's interesting because when you think of the phrase, pour out your hearts to God, it's not necessarily the first thing you think about when you think about a posture of worship, but it is. And I believe that in so many ways, when we pour out our hearts, we get to connect to the intimacy of God and who God is, and we get to connect with him on a much deeper level. To pour out our hearts before God is an act of worship. And so it doesn't mean we just worship with our mind. It means that we worship with our heart and really the depth of our soul, we get to worship God. Here's why I want to talk about this, because even this morning, some of you have come in through the doors, and you know what? Life is good. You could wear the shirt, hashtag I'm blessed, right? Like, like life is good. Things are going exactly as I would want them to go. Man, no, no family trouble. My health is good. Finances are good. I'm ready for Christmas, all right? So I don't have to put up with the crazy people out there in the last 10 days of Christmas. Life is good. How many of you feel that way right now? Yeah, yeah, and that's true, and so so many of us come in and we're ready, and what I want to tell you is that it should be our act of worship that in the good, we pour out our heart to God. There's another group of people among us, and the other group of people around, how's life? Fine. <laughs> blah, right? Life is just blah. Kind of bland, kind of status quo, not great, not bad. Life is just so-so, right? And what I want you to hear is, is you don't just have to exist, 
right? Sometimes we feel that way. When life is just fine, life is just blah, we just kind of exist. We just kind of get to be. What I want to tell you is that we have an opportunity to pour out our heart to God in an act of worship. And then there's always another group of us. And you've come in this morning, and to be honest with you, even getting here was a struggle. Because life is difficult now. Maybe you feel alone at the Christmas time. Maybe you have aches and pains, and, and literally you ache and pain. Or maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're expecting a bad medical report. Maybe the finances are so tight that you don't know how you're going to make Christmas happen because it's so strapped. Maybe you've got some difficult relationships right now, and, and you're thinking, man, there's no chance that these relationships are ever going to work out. Maybe you're in the middle of just a really hard time right now. And maybe for you, this message is more for you than it is anybody else. Because what I want you to hear is that even in the midst of our difficulties and even in the midst of the discouragements and the disappointments and the hard times that we have, we can praise him. We can pour out our heart to him and worship him. And that's what I want us to understand because God cares for the brokenhearted and God is near to those who are in need of him. That's one of the promises. So my hope today is that we can learn literally to pour out our hearts to God regardless of what our circumstances are. In fact, what I want to do is I want to look at a couple of portions of Scripture, some of them that are written by David. Do you remember David? Man, if you read David, David was up and down and all around sometimes just with how he was feeling about life. But I think that as we look at these different portions of Scripture, we can pick up some, some things from him. And the first one I want to look at is Psalm 142. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 142 or you can check it out on the, on the screen. This is what it says, verse 2. It says, I pour out my complaint before him. You mean we can complain to God? Yes. Right? This is what David's saying. I pour out my complaint to him. I tell my trouble before him. Man, I love this. Because David's not saying, oh man, God, things are so good right now. Everything is just the way I wanted it to go. What he's saying is, I am pouring out my complaints. I'm shaking my fist at God saying, God, when is this going to stop? When are you going to give me a break? God, come on, give me some rest here. Have you ever been there? Yeah. Have you ever poured out your trouble to God where you just kind of shake your fist at him and say, come on, God. What are you doing? What's going on? Why are you taking so long? Why are you doing this? And so David literally pours out his complaints before God because his life in that moment is difficult. Verse 5 says this, I cry to you, O Lord, and I say, I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Man, don't miss that. David's pouring his heart out to God. He's shaking his fist at God. He's saying, God, this isn't working for me. He's, he's, he's pouring out his complaints. He's pouring out his trouble, and he's crying out before God. But then he declares God as being something very special, very special, and that is this idea of refuge. He says, God, you are my refuge. He uses this phrase in another psalm, too, in Psalm 62, verse 8. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. And so in this psalm, he's kind of saying to God, hey, God, listen, listen for a second. Why don't you, um, people, trust him? People trust him. Then it goes on. Pour out your heart before him. And here's the big idea. Pouring our heart out before him. Why? Because God is a, what? A refuge for us. 
So he calls people to trust in God. And then David says, pour out your heart. And you can pour out your heart. Why? Because God is our refuge. And the idea of refuge comes from Old Testament history. Literally, there were these Levitical cities, six of them, as a matter of fact. And if you accidentally killed somebody, then you could run and you could escape and you could find refuge in those those cities, a hiding place in those cities so that you would be safe. Does that make sense? And so this is what he's referring to God as. He's saying God is this safe place. God is this safe person. God is one of these places that we can go to and we can hide and we can find safety and we can find refuge and we can find protection. Did you ever have a safe place? I mean, you got to think back when you were a kid, right? Did you have a safe place? A lot of people choose their safe place to be under the bed, right? Which is really weird to me because that's where the monsters live. Right, and, and then you also think under the bed is all the other stuff. I mean, dust and cobwebs and, I mean, piles of stuff, dirty socks from who knows when, or at least at my boy's bedroom, all right? And so, um, yeah. How many of you had a safe place under your bed? All right, a couple of us. Some of you are like, no way, all right? And I'm not talking now. You gotta go back in time a little bit, okay? How many of you, the closet was your safe place? You had a place in the closet that you kind of created. You made it your own. How many of you had a fort or something like that? Yeah, yeah, and it was your safe place, wasn't it? It was the place you would go. It's the place that you would find comfort. It's the place you would hide. We all have some sort of safe place. How many of you had a stuffed animal or a blankie that was kind of your safety thing? Let me see. Yeah, how many of you still have it? Yeah, yeah, you, yes, excellent, excellent. Sometimes, sometimes it's not necessarily a safe place. Sometimes it's a safe person. Like, have you ever noticed when there was a monster under the bed or there was a monster in the closet, which was your safe place, as soon as mom and dad walked in, guess what? There was no more monsters. How did that happen? Like, how did mom and dad have the magic and the power to walk into the room and that monster ran away, right? Well, I was scared of my mom too, wouldn't you be? Right? <laughs> But, but seriously, mom and dad would walk in and then the monsters would disappear. And it's like they would never believe that the monsters were there because the monsters were scared of mom and dad. Or, or man, in, in the Midwest, we didn't have earthquakes necessarily. We had tornadoes. And you had to have a safe place. And let me tell you, if you live in the Midwest, you know where your safe place is. You just do. And if you don't have a cellar, then you know that you're supposed to go in the bathroom and put a mattress over yourself or in the inner room. Or you're so, You just know that there's got to... You learn that when you move to Dallas for a while, don't you, Martins? Yeah. How many tornadoes did you experience those couple of years you lived there? Two. Two. More than enough? Oh, more than enough. Yeah. Yeah. So you have these safe places, right? Or, or the safe people come into the room. Protection. Or how about this? You have that nightmare in the middle of the night and you wake up and you go into your mom and dad's room and one of them reaches out and pulls you up into bed with you. And all of a sudden, you're with these safe people. And how many of you have experienced a safe place or safe people? Yeah. And what, what David's saying is, listen, God is our refuge. What he's saying is God is our safe place. God is our safe person. We call out to him and we pour out our heart before God. Just, just like we love to be needed by our own children, God loves it when we need him. 
God adores it when we reach out to him and we cry out to him and we pour our heart out to him because, because just like a parent today would love to be needed by their children. And we must get that from the Father because the Father loves it when his children, us, when we cry out to him, when we pour our hearts out to him, he loves to be needed. He loves it. And he's already aware of what's already going on and he can handle the cry that we have. And so I want to give us uh, just an opportunity today to pour our hearts out to God. I want us to have the opportunity today to cry out to him in an act of worship. That's really what I want. So I want to give us a couple things to think about. Is that all right? Good, because you're stuck now. <laughs> this is the first thing I want you to think about, especially when it comes to dealing with just, just the hard aspects of life. And that's this. We remember God's faithfulness in the past. We have to remember God's faithfulness in our past. You see, as we cry out to God, we reflect backward. We reflect how God was faithful and how God was good in previous situations in our lives. And when we look at Psalm 42 in, in just a moment, we believe that David wrote this. Most scholars assume he did. It doesn't say for sure. But listen, whoever the psalmist was was in a dark place, in a hard time. If it was, in fact, David, it was written during a time when his son Absalom rebelled against him. And, and what was going on is all the people around him were saying, hey, if your God's so good, David, why is this happening to you? Like, God, hey, David, if serving God means you get to deal with this kind of pain and suffering, I'm out. All right, David, your God's so good, then why is he letting that happen? All right, David, we're just going to stand back and we're going to watch you have all the trouble. We don't want to have anything to do with that. And so he's rejected. He feels rejected. People are rejecting him. People are rejecting his God. And so he's at a very low point in his life. And listen to this, Psalm 42, verse 3. He says this, My tears have been my food day and night. Now I want you to capture that concept. That I have been weeping over and over and over again. Like, like I've not stopped weeping. The only thing that I've actually consumed are the tears that have come from my eyes for days and for nights. I've not eaten anything except for these tears. He says this, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day, where is your God, David? Where is your God? If your God's so good, where is he? Where, where is he? But then he says this, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. I love that. In the midst of the anguish, he says, I'm going to remember these things. These things I remember as I pour out myself, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession in the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. And he says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within? And I love that question. And then he turns his pain to praise and he says hope in God for I shall again praise him my salvation and my God have you ever felt like that have you ever felt like the only thing you've eaten is the tears that have come down your face have you ever been in a place where you've just had to cry yourself to sleep have you ever had so much hurt and so much pain and felt so alone that you didn't know what else to do have you ever had to say my tears are my food I mean, people are asking the psalmist, Where, where's your God? This is bad. Where is he? Why is he letting this stuff happen to you? 
If this is what serving God is all about, and this is what's going to happen to you when you serve God, I'm out. But I love what verse 4 says. Verse 4 is the change of the verse, right, of the whole scripture. These things I remember. These things I remember as I pour out my heart, as I cry out to God, as I shake my fist with my complaints to God. These things I remember. I remember going into the house of God and being under the mighty protection of God with shouts of joy and with shouts of praise. And then the gears seem to shift with the psalmist a little bit. And he says, why so downcast, oh, my soul? I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm not going to put my trust in my kids. I'm not going to put my trust in my family. I'm not going to put my trust in all of these people who are against me right now. My trust is going to be in God. I'm going to put my hope in him, and I will praise him regardless of what's going on around me. And I don't know about you, but every now and then I cry out to God. And one of my prayers to God is, God, I want to deliver great messages for our people. I just don't want to experience what I need to experience to deliver the good message. (laughs) Only to often have God say to me, oh, no, 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 no. You will deliver a better message when you've gone through it. And so listen, I, I never claim to have it better or worse than anybody else. But it has been a month for me. On the 30th, my grandma died. I had to fly out. That's a whirlwind if you've done that. See family I've not seen. Spent some time even with my, my, my dad, my biological dad, who I don't have a relationship with. He's a mess only to come home and get back and hit the road running and, you know, Christmas is coming and everything else. And then yesterday we land ourselves in the ER because my son breaks his arm. And I had this moment where I'm driving down 84 to OHSU thinking, I think I'm done, God. (laughs) Got it. Message heard, delivered, signed, take it back, right? But I catch myself sometimes crying out to God, saying, God, I don't know that I can do more of this. God, I'm done. I mean, I would even say to you today, I am a, an emotional mess inside. And, and the pastors have it all together, right? We're supposed to, we're supposed to have this figured out, but, but man, I'm on the brink of, of the edge, if you know what I mean. I'm I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm saying to God, all right, I've had my fill. They say these things come in threes. I'm done. Share with other people. I'll give you some names. (laughs) And addresses. And phone numbers. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But you know what I mean? Sometimes I cry out to God. Sometimes I cry out to God. I have to cry out to him. But what I have to do in the midst of crying out to him is say, God, you have been so faithful and so true and so just and so good in the past. God, God, you have been all of these things. And and I, I know that I have to preach to myself too. And so I want you to know today that I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. And and there's another amazing story in the book of Lamentations about a guy named Jeremiah. You talk about having a bad month. Literally, literally, you could read Lamentations in chapter 3. I think the first 20 verses are, are complaints before God. He's like, God, are you serious? Why does this keep happening to me? 
Why is it that every time I turn around, God, I'm dealing with more trouble and more pain and people are trying to kill me and people are pursuing me and all of these things. And so Jeremiah, he literally lays out in those 20 verses all of his pain, all of his anguish, the complaints and the afflictions that he has. And it's literally this, this passage in the Bible that reminds me that I have permission before God to say, are you serious? Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> but it doesn't stop there. Listen to this. Listen to this. Some of us have come in here today, and I've already said it. Financially, you're on the edge. You're scraping by. You don't know how you're going to do it. Some of us have come in today, and, and we are worried, and we are concerned about our children. And I'm not just talking about 11-year-olds who break their arm. I'm talking about some of us have 50, we're, we're 50 years old, and we have grown children some of us are 70 or 80, and we have really grown children who are in their 40s and 50s. And guess what? We worry about them, don't we? We're concerned about them. We miss the relationship that we've once had with them, or, or, or now there's this division, and there's just this mess involved. Some of us, we've come in today, and honestly, our marriages are on, on the edge. They're on the rocks, and it's not pleasant. It's hard. And you're wondering, man, can she ever forgive me or can he ever forgive me? And you're wondering, man, if God is good, where, where is he in the midst of this? I'm trying to do everything right. What's going on? Some of us have come in here today and we've got a work situation that's really bad. And, and, and honestly, you're sick and tired of your boss. You wish he would pay you what you're worth. That he acknowledge or she'd acknowledge the things that you're doing. And you feel it, you feel it. And this work situation, is a, it's a drain every single day to get up and go into the place and try to bring your best. And some of us, we have a doctor's appointment this week and you're anticipating that you're going to hear really bad news. And it's scary. And so it's, some people think it's disrespectful for us to, to kind of shake our fists to God, to bring our complaints, to pour out our hearts, to, to, to literally cry before God. But I'm telling you, as I read this, these couple verses in Lamentations, listen to them. We have permission. It says, remember my affliction. Remember my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. <laughs> Man, think about that. But then this is what he says. My soul continually remembers it. And is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. And listen to this. 20 verses of the pile on. 20 verses of the pain and the affliction and the suffering. But he says this. But this I call to mind. And therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. So I can have the pile on after pile on. You could bring it, dump it out on me. I still have hope in this. That God's love doesn't cease. That his faithfulness is good today. It was good yesterday and it'll be good tomorrow. That his mercies never come to an end and they're new every single day. And so you could bring it all on me now, but tomorrow is a new day. And his love is still there and his mercy is still there and he's still true and he's still faithful. 
In the middle of Jeremiah's desperate cry from his soul, he remembers the goodness of God. And so we have to remember the goodness of God no matter what our situations are. And when we remember God's faithfulness in the past, it will remind us that God is good right now in the present regardless of our circumstances. Remember, remember, remember. When was God faithful to you? What situation in your past did God show up in and and he worked things out? Do you remember sensing his steadfast love in the past? When have you experienced his new mercies? Can you admit today that God is faithful no matter what? We cry out to God and we tell him our heart. We, We pour out our complaint to him and he hears us. And we tell him, God, I don't understand. Why are you doing this, God? We get to shake our fist to God and say, God, none of this makes sense to me. Why? But we also get to say, but God, I know you are true and faithful and your love existed and was strong and solid here and it's going to be tomorrow. We cry out to him and our cry turns into worship, an act of worship. We pour our heart out to him and it turns out to be an act of worship. Here's another one. We can trust God for the power in our future. We can trust God man, to, to, to bring his power into our future. Listen to this from Psalm 102. It says, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my, car, my cry come to you. Man, I love this. He, he's assuming that God's turned his back on him. And he's saying, do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Hello, God. This is hard right now. Hello, where are you? Incline your ear to me and answer me speedily on the day when I call you. Man, have you ever felt that way? You ever left a message for somebody over and over and over and over and over and over wanting to call you back? Ah! This is how the psalmist is feeling toward God right now. He's saying, hey, I'm asking, are you listening? Can you hear me? I'm pleading. I need you. Verse 5 says this, because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. He's like, I'm yelling louder and louder and louder. Can you hear me? I lie awake, and I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. Verse 8 and 9 says, all the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Whew. Man, can you imagine how he's feeling right now? Can you feel the tension in his cry, in his plead? But then there's these incredible three words, and they're absolutely and completely in a moment. They change everything. These three words in this entire Psalm 102 will be the very reason that so many of us have even gathered here today. And I hope that this will will land on your heart. Verse 12 says this, But you, Lord... But you, Lord, these three words, they literally change everything. He says, but you, Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Do you hear it? He's saying, my life is literally falling apart, and I don't understand my life, and I'm crying out to you from the depths of my soul. I don't understand why things are happening. I don't understand why you're doing this to me. I don't understand why they're doing this to me. I don't understand where you've gone. I don't even know what you're doing, God. None of this makes sense to me. But you, Lord, are faithful. But you, Lord, are good. 
you, Lord, are trustworthy and true. I don't have the ability, God, but you, God, are powerful. I feel all alone, God, but you, God, can be my presence and my peace. You name it, I don't know what to do, but you, God, are still in control and you're still on the throne. And what I know today is that some of us, some of us need to walk out of here with a but you, God. But you, God. I'm alone, I'm afraid, I'm tired. But you, God. But you, God. Now, what is your but you, God, today? I I love verse 17 of 102. It says, he regards the prayer of the destitute, and he does not despise their prayer. Man, that should bring us comfort. And I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's my financial situation is a wreck. And it has been. And I live live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck if there's even a promise of a paycheck. But you, Lord. But you, Lord. Now, what is your but you, Lord? My marriage is on the rocks, and I I don't know for sure if it's going to last. I don't even know what to do. I'm confused, and I'm brokenhearted, and I'm angry, and I'm, I'm all this. But you, Lord. What is the but you, Lord? And I've got to go to the doctor this week, and I'm pretty sure they're going to tell me something that's not good news. And I think it's going to devastate me. But you, Lord. I'm alone. I've lost a loved one. And I'm struggling. But you, Lord. But you, Lord. And what is your but you, Lord, today? What is your but you, Lord, moment today? Whatever your circumstances are, what is it? What is it? See, this is what we have to do. We have to push through the pain and turn it into praise. We have to push through the pain, and we have to turn it into praise. See, we get to say, I don't understand God, but you, God, are in control. God, I've lost a loved one, and it hurts, but God, you will not leave me. Financially, I'm a wreck, but God, you are the ultimate provider. God, my relationships are a disaster, but God, you are the perfect healer. At some point we plead and at some point we cry and at some point we pour our heart out before God and at some point, because we know God, we've got to stop pleading and we have to start praising him for who he is. In the middle of a crisis, the psalmist suddenly realizes that he's talking to God and God is big and God is on the throne and God is everlasting and his love endures forever and ever and ever. Suddenly he realizes who he's talking to and how much the one he is talking to actually cares. See, God is close to the brokenhearted and suddenly our plea turns into a praise. Suddenly the plea and the cry turns into praise because God is good and God is worthy of our praise. We push through the pain to a point of praise. Then we will stop pleading And we will start worshiping. See, that's why pouring your heart out is an act of worship. Final thought. We make our cry an offering to God. We get to make our cry as an offering to God. And listen to Lamentations 2.19. It says, arise, cry out in the night. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. 
Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of the street. See, there's this concept in the Bible of being poured out like an offering. Being poured out. And it comes from Jacob, who, who initially his name was turned to Israel. In Genesis 35, verse 14, it says, And Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, where God told him what was going to happen. It was a pillar of stone. And he poured out a drink offering on it. He poured oil on it. He was being poured out before God. And I know some of us right now, I'm saying being poured out, and you're like, I got nothing to pour. And that's the beauty of the church. We get to be around people who do. Man, sometimes the spillover will fill us up. Man, isn't that good news? Isn't it good to be in the presence where we can be filled up? Philippians 2.17, Paul says, Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. Listen, church, we need to have a moment today where we turn our pain and our cry and our complaint into praise. I know today that some of you, you came in here and life is good and you're like, man, I was a bum sermon. I feel disappointed and dis- I need counseling after that, right? I came in there good and I'm leaving in pain. I hope not. Because what I hope is if life was good when you walked in here today, man, that you will find an opportunity to raise your hands and to say, God, you are good and I worship you. And some of you, some of you, some of you, right? Some of you. <laughs> Some of you came in today, and when you walked in through the doors, life is just, you're just existing. You're just existing. You're fine. Blah. That's how you describe life. And I hope you find it in yourself that you can worship him and say, God, you're still good, and you are faithful, and you are true, but you, Lord, are consistent and steady. And I can trust you. And then there's others who really the message was probably written for. Who like me, you're kind of saying to God, I think I'm done. And if this continues much, I might find me a hole and hide in it. God, are you serious? So I kept thinking on the way to the hospital yesterday. I, serious? Like we didn't have enough going on. Come on, God. What do I do to you? But moving that from a complaint, from a fist shaking, to God, your mercies are still new every morning. Every morning. Your love It endures forever and ever and ever. And great, great is your faithfulness, oh God. And some of us today, in a very practical way, can can just kind of come up here like we do every Sunday for our prayer time. And you can just bring it. Bring that fist and shake it. But let's not leave it there. Let's move it to a place of praise. This has been the psalm that I've been thinking about on my own heart says this for God alone 
O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He is only he's my rock. And he is my salvation. He's my fortress. And I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my, my refuge is God. He's my safe place. He is my safe person. Trust in him at all times. O oh, people, pour out your heart before God because God is a refuge for us. And so I want to invite you to stand. And as we sing this song, maybe, maybe you just sing it out and praise him because life is good. Maybe you're just existing. Sing out and praise it and maybe let him do some movement in you. Don't just exist. Praise him. Maybe it is garbage all around you and it feels like life is caving in. And bring your complaints before him. Pour your heart out to him, but don't leave it there. Let's move it to a place of praise as we sing together.